0: Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Kevin Williams, whose day job is as the music and visual arts editor at the Chicago Tribune, but he's also one of my go-to experts on all things FC Barcelona. So we'll talk about that. We've had some great guests lately, including Jason Davis, Crystal Dunn, and Wright Thompson, I also encourage you to check out my podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story. All eight episodes are out, and you can binge them all to your heart's content. I do want to start this week with an audio column. Here goes. The U.S. Soccer Federation had its annual general meeting over the weekend, held virtually due to the pandemic. Incumbent Cindy Cohn ran unopposed for president, and Bill Taylor beat out Kobe Jones and two other candidates for vice president. But the topic that made the most news was the National Council vote on whether to repeal the Federation's role preventing kneeling during the National Anthem. U.S. Soccer's board had already withdrawn the rule last summer during the Black Lives Matter protests following George Floyd's murder by police. But now was the chance for the Federation membership to take the rule off the books completely. Before the vote, Seth John, a former U.S. Para 7 aside captain and recently elected member of the powerful Athlete Council, got the microphone and delivered a six minute speech arguing to keep the rule. In that speech, he minimized the enslavement of black Americans and dismissed completely the connection between police brutality and black Americans. John has a right to his own opinions, but he does not have a right to his own facts. And his position downplaying the monstrosity of black Americans' enslavement has no place in the U.S. Soccer Federation an organization that has received deserved criticism for not being welcoming enough to the Black and Latino communities over the years. In the end, the National Council did not support Seth John and voted to repeal the rule, which is really important to note. And by Saturday night, nearly every member of the Athlete Council, including Becky Sauerbrunn, Chris Ahrens, and Brad Guzan, had publicly condemned John's remarks in a statement specifically referring to, quote, hate speech, end quote. On Sunday morning, John doubled down on his position in an inflammatory Twitter post, and by early Sunday evening, it appeared likely that the Athlete Council would vote to remove John from his position. That's a good thing. U.S. soccer has taken too long to take real action to change the organization, Cindy Cohn has said some promising things about prioritizing diversity, equity and inclusion, but it's not enough for leaders and members not to be racist. They need to be anti-racist. That's what the Athlete Council seems prepared to do. And that is real leadership. We'll have Kevin Williams on soon, but let's start with some talk about the soccer world with my friend Chris Whittingham, the radio voice of Inter Miami and a co host of the Chelsea Miked Up podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you?
1: Doing all right, Grant. How's it going?
0: It's going well. And and there are a few soccer things to talk about, I think, this week. Maybe not as many as we typically have over uh, after a weekend. But I want to start with Tyler Adams, who I thought was one of the big standout winners from our perspective of the soccer weekend. He had a huge second half in central midfield as Leipzig came back from... 2-0 down to Gladbach in the Bundesliga to win 3-2 in stoppage time. Terrific game. And I'm wondering, do you think this might be potentially a game changer for Tyler Adams, at least when it comes to playing in central midfield? moving forward?
1: Well, I, I do think from an American perspective, this is what I would want. I know that there are some people, I'd say Matt Doyle of MLSsoccer.com has been kind of the biggest proponent of Tyler Adams' right back. I want to see him as an N'Golo Kante-like figure in the American midfield. And look, I get it. Like In the Burhalter system, you can understand why players like Will Trapp and Michael Bradley and even Jackson Ewell at times have been preferred because of their passing distribution ability. And I do think that there is potential for Tyler Adams to improve in this area, particularly playing under Julian Nagelsmann. But I've always thought that Adams can lead a very press-minded American national team in going at teams, making it difficult to play through. And I do think one of the bigger moments in that Leipzig second half is a moment where he comes in with a vital interception that leads to a goal. I think it was for the second uh, Leipzig goal in their comeback effort against Gladbach. And I just think that that, for me, is kind of the essence of Tyler Adams. This is incredibly hard-working covers every blade of grass on the pitch. And I just think that would be such an important asset to an American national team, particularly when they come up against stronger opposition. And you need to suffer a little bit. You need to have central midfielders that can do that work. Tyler Adams is that plus, right? It's not just a worker. It's someone who's got an incredible ability as well, given the fact that he's in Europe right now.
0: Yeah, I thought this was an important game for Adams to show that he could do this in central midfield against a difficult opponent. Gladbach's a good team, and yes, Tyler Adams is pretty good outright, out wide, whether it's as a right back, as a right midfielder. I just think he's better in central midfield. And maybe now I'm wondering if Julian Nagelsmann will give him a bit more responsibility because this was a really important game for Leipzig to stay within two points of Bayern Munich, which they eventually did. They go down 2-0 in the first half. And and things look pretty pretty bad there. And, and then they show a lot of grit and turn it around. I mean, there've been moments this year where I feel like Leipzig have underperformed in, in important games that home loss to Dortmund really stuck out to me. Uh, Even the champions league defeat to Liverpool, which, you know, they're down two nil going into the return leg there. I think that's going to be a really hard one to turn around. That was the most disappointing game from Leipzig I've seen this season. But, I like watching this team. I watch them a lot, and I think they're capable of sticking with Bayern. We'll just have to wait and see if they can do it.
1: Right. It's that level of consistency, particularly in those big games. My feeling with Leipzig really, since they arrived in the Bundesliga and it was pretty clear that they're going to be towards the top for a long time, is, well, when they come up against Dortmund, when they come up against Bayern, and even in recent times, clubs like Leverkusen and Gladbach is... Can they summon top-level performances in those games? And for me, the answer is, I, I agree with you, mostly been no. So the fact that Adams was fairly influential in a game, in which they did perform well, which they did kind of meet the moment and come from behind to play some pretty good stuff because they had a, a, a goal that was disallowed and still went on to finish a comeback. So I thought they played some really good stuff on the day, and Adams was literally at the middle of it, which I think is, uh, for me, kind of the most encouraging sign is... It was going to take some time for him to develop and grow uh, within this Nagelsmann system. And it seems as though the fact that the player is so malleable and can grow into this role is really hugely important for his development as a player.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. While we're talking about Bayern Munich and Germany, I want to ask you a question because we're halfway through the round of 16 games uh, ties in Champions League And I'm wondering, who is your favorite to win the UEFA Champions League at this point? And I'm going to give you two options, unless you want to throw a different one at me. Bayern Munich, Manchester City, these seem like the form teams in Europe right now. And they haven't shown anything otherwise in the round of 16 so far to make us think they're not.
1: Who do you like? It's interesting because if you went off of domestic league form, you'd definitely say City because Bayern have had their struggles. And when you look at, again, if you're just kind of objectively analyzing them, Bayern Munich's defensive record is of huge concern. They've given up, I think, 32 goals now in the Bundesliga, which is a fairly sizable figure for a club which we presume will go on to win it. So Manchester City in their domestic league... In terms of, you know, having won twenty in a row in all competitions, the fact that they don't really even give away that many chances, never mind goals. They haven't given away more than one since November when they lost by two goals to Nil away at Tottenham Hotspur. So their defensive record would lead you to believe that they are a changed team. But I do think that the Champions League is a competition of incumbents, right? The teams that have done it will continue to do it until proven otherwise, right? So PSG getting to a final, Leipzig getting to a semi-final, Atalanta going deep in last year's tournament came as something of a surprise. You do kind of wonder if in closed-door environments, they were kind of have a little bit more freedom to, you know, you're not away at the Bernabeu and, and you've got to, you know, play this occasion, never mind this game. So Maybe there's a chance for a new club like City, and eventually I think they will become one of the blue bloods, but until they prove it, until Pep Guardiola manages this team to success in this competition, they've gone out in some uh, in some pretty kind of underwhelming fashions to Monaco, to Spurs, uh, last year to Lyon, like until they, for four rounds of a knockout stage, can prove that they can be consistent performers, that that, that Pep Guardiola doesn't make these bizarre tactical decisions I'm going to go with Bayern. I think that, particularly in European competition, they're still so strong. They are really strong,
0: and I am going to differ here, though. I am going to say it's Man City's time. I, I do feel like Pep Guardiola has gotten, in my opinion, a deserved reputation for overthinking important Champions League games over the years and overthinking his setup, and i Not everyone agrees with me on that. I know Roberto Martinez was protecting Pep the other day on on CBS, but uh, I would like to see Pep just sort of do what he's been doing over this 20-game win streak with Man City. No need to, like, throw some new curveball in Champions League. Just keep doing what you're doing right now. And it's been a long time since Pep Guardiola won Champions League with Barcelona. He did not win Champions League at all at Bayern Munich has not won Champions League at all with Manchester City. He's due. He really is due. And this has come to sort of define this last several years of his career. And so I think he's going to be highly motivated. I think this city team is has the chance to be viewed now as one of the great teams we've seen in world club soccer for a long time. I really do believe that because just the, the, the wins, the way they're winning, um, they've become appointment television again in a way that they, they maybe were two or three years ago just to, to watch great soccer that, that Pep had brought to that league and that, that club. But, At a certain point, you got to win the biggest of the trophies. And I think this is the year. So I also feel like Bayern Munich has been really, as you mentioned, defensively suspect at times, not all the time, but at times this season in the Bundesliga against some pretty pedestrian teams on occasion. So if I'm going to pick one right now, I'm going to defy recent trends in Champions League and say, Man City, check back with me in a month. <laughs> we'll see if
1: I'm still there. Yeah. And and I, I agree with you in in kind of the thinking that Pep has adjusted to opposition in the Champions League, right? That for me was kind of his biggest mistake against Leon. as well. They play this 3-5-2 and so I got to play my own 3-5-2 and I've got to match with no. You're the strongest team in the competition, right? You know, In terms of depth of squad, in terms of what you do, make them adjust to you. Make them play you at your game. But the other thing I think as well is the reason why if this were to be the year, why it would be different, because I do think that Pep has been building towards a little bit of a different city, a defensively strong city. And Mm -hmm. I think the biggest change for me in terms of identifying what that is, is Ilkay Gundogan. He's basically played in every game and he thinks a bit more like a central midfielder as opposed to an attacking midfielder as opposed to a David Silva. When he left, I th- when David Silva left, I thought that it would be a Foden, a Bernardo Silva, uh, one of the creatives in the team that would get plucked into that role. And they would kind of say with a 4-1-4-1 4-1 with him and De Bruyne as kind of like the the the, the two central attacking midfielders in ahead of Rodrigo. But I do think that Pep kind of realized at the beginning of the season, I need to... Put Gundogan in there because he thinks a bit more defensively while also being able to contribute to the attack. He's been sensational in the attack. And I think that this kind of adjustment has allowed City to maybe not necessarily score 5-6-7 like they used to, but they're just more solid. They don't get beat on the break so often. They don't look so vulnerable all the time. And I think that's kind of the major difference is that Pep has genuinely made an adjustment to be slightly more conservative in this season, have a bit more defensive solidity in that midfield. And so I do think if there is something that would be changed that would reflect in a Champions League win, it would be that kind of, well, we'll put the handbrake on a little bit and not quite be so hell for leather for attacking midfielders and a striker on the pitch at all times.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Though I still think they found a way to get that solidity without becoming plotting. You know, they're still fun to watch, I feel like. Of course.
1: Yeah, I mean, Joe Cancelo as a fullback has kind of introduced what maybe, you know, no other city fullback could in terms of that attacking quality from defense even.
0: So while we're on Champions League here, which team do you think has the best chance of pulling off the upset in the return leg? Porto over Juventus, Atalanta over Real Madrid, or Chelsea over Atletico Madrid?
1: Hmm. Uh, I think they're all good shouts actually. I, I think that, I mean, obviously Atalanta has the most to overcome uh, being from behind, but I, I do kind of, I would love to have seen that full 90 minutes with both, with both sides, 11 yeah. men. I don't know what you thought of that red card decision. Bad call. I thought Bad it was call. unbelievably harsh and yeah. you just kind of wonder like what the game would have looked like. But I do think that Atalanta, given their scoring prowess can certainly overturn a one nil away from home. They get two away goals. All of a sudden they're in the catbird seat, but, um, I think Chelsea's in a really strong position. Um, Atletico are going to have to come at them. And Chelsea do not give away goals. Yeah, they played a drab nil-nil against Manchester United. We're recording this on a Sunday. But they're right now difficult to beat in terms of conceding goals. So I think Chelsea in a good spot. And I think the Porto thing is not necessarily as much about Porto, though they certainly you know took advantage of the Juve mistakes, is that Juve is in a rotten run of form right now. And I really think that if his name was not Andrea Pirlo that Andrea Pirlo would have been sacked by now as Juventus manager. This would not be acceptable for anyone other than someone who's got obviously a, a huge connection to the club. The way that they've played this season, the quality of their results is not Juventus. They're like three points above the Europa League places. This is Juventus in Italy. And so I think they're in a really bad way right now. And I would not be surprised given how poor they've been this season if Porto uh, went and finished that job. Ronaldo is really the only thing that kind of gives you a shred of doubt there. So if you make me pick, I'd say Chelsea. But uh, the other two are not out of the realm of possibilities for me.
0: Yeah, I, I think so as well. And I think Atalanta is not out of it yet with Real Madrid though it did hurt them to give up the late away goal uh in the first leg by the way I don't know if you uh listen to it there's a really good 50 minute podcast storytelling podcast by Sam Borden at ESPN on sort of the Atalanta story that ESPN
1: Daily podcast was amazing I absolutely loved they teased it the day before and I couldn't wait for it and it absolutely delivered that story is incredibly well told
0: yeah so good stuff Sam Borden we always like his work um And Chelsea, I got to admit, I know you do a Chelsea podcast, so you watch each one of their games really closely. On the one hand, Tuchel is undefeated as as Chelsea manager so far. Um, You know, he's gotten a really good result against Atletico Madrid in the opening leg. I can't say I'm that excited as a neutral watching Chelsea these days.
1: That's completely fair because I do think that because uh, again, when you're when you're kind of doing a podcast about one club, you have to consume everything about them. But for me, like the the main kind of takeaway from listening to Tuchel over and over again is his biggest priority right now is snuffing out counterattacks and making sure that they're not getting beat. And just about summoning it, I, I do think he would prefer that, you know, Ben Chilwell and Reese James and Kalamuts and Adoya as wingbacks would contribute more at that forward three at a bit more creativity. But when you think about playing three center backs, and today it was Kovacic and Conte as what he calls two number sixes, which is two holding midfielders, I feel like three center backs and two holding midfielders, that is a very conservative way yeah. to go about uh, playing games. So uh, while, you know, it, maybe it looks attacking because Hudson odoi is out there as a defender. It really is a team that's most right now concerned with conceding goals. Look, that was a huge concern under Frank Lampard, so it has solved the problem. But you know, none of their star attacking signings are playing particularly brilliantly right now. They're not scoring a ton of goals, so I think it's a it's a fair concern. I just think right now that Tuchel is probably most concerned about laying down foundations and in a very pragmatic way getting results, right? Because this is a club that wants to, you know, progress against Atletico. They're on their way and also get into the top four. And so right now, not conceding goals is probably the way that Tuchel views as the easiest, or not easiest, but uh, most efficient way to get there.
0: I do happen to think Chelsea's going to find a way to advance against Atletico Madrid. I personally feel like as much as a neutral, I'd love to see Atalanta take out Real Madrid. I don't think that's probably going to happen. And then Porto Juve, I think everything you said about Juventus is true. They are struggling. I think getting the away goal is going to help in, in the return leg. And I think How incredibly fortunate a were they
1: to get it too? Because I thought right. Porto pretty soundly beat them on the day. And if you're Porto, yeah. you have to be ruining the fact that you let them get that goal.
0: But I personally am hoping that Porto does advance and that we get a matchup between Porto and Man City in the quarterfinal just so we can get... Sergio Conceição, the Porto manager, who had a go at Pep. I don't like each other very much, the do season. they? They do not like each other very much. I think that could be a fun one, uh, just from an entertainment perspective. Um, lastly, I want to wrap up here with and this is off the field here, but this is a story that really took over the airwaves in multiple countries this week, which is Latan Ibrahimovic calling out LeBron James, his former. Los Angeles colleague, for uh, not sticking to sports in what he says publicly. And the more I think about this, why on earth would Zlatan pick this fight? I I don't get it.
1: Well, I, I think it's because Zlatan is so singular about his purpose. And, and what he's decided to do with his career and with his life, just basically big himself up and not ter- be generally interested in the greater good and the platform that is offered to him. And I do kind of wonder if he feels a personal inadequacy about being able to speak about uh, major issues in a sophisticated and smart way. And so it's kind of project, well, if I can't, then everyone else can't. But um, I don't know why he picked this fight because particularly in football, and really since, you know, the, the George Floyd protest broke out, I mean, how many eloquent footballers have stepped forward to forward causes that have been brilliant? And never mind the work that, like, you know, calling out LeBron James, I'm talking about people within his own sport, like to not see his old Manchester United teammate, Marcus Rashford, has been a revelation, a sensation, just a, an incredible human being. Dur- with, with all of the work that he's done politically, like we talk about things as politics all the time, right? You know, doing work in your community, but like actually engaging with government, actually engaging with policy, which is what Marcus Rashford has done in England, getting Boris Johnson to lose a political battle because he doesn't want to pay for the meals of kids who are not going to schools, and that's a huge hole left behind by the pandemic and schools not being open is an incredible political win. So if you're talking about someone not being well-versed enough to speak about politics or engage in politics, it's wrong with his own sport, never mind going after LeBron James.
0: Yeah, there's a few things I think are going on here. One is that I think Ibra had an issue when he was in Los Angeles that LeBron was as big as he was. Um, I, 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 I I (laughs) honestly, that's fair. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's how Zlatan thinks to some extent. I think Zlatan is very much about fame and money and not this side of things. And so maybe that's part of it as well. He certainly has a right not to speak about topics though, outside of sports though he has, by the way, over the years. Um, but yeah, this was, this was one where, I hate to say it. Ibra Ibra lost a lot of respect from me over the past week. And I think quite a few fans who who would have called themselves Ibrahimović fans are pretty dismayed by this. Uh, Not everyone, but uh, I I feel like you're calling out the wrong guy. And you look at what LeBron James has done for his community back in Ohio, in Los Angeles, elsewhere. uh, It's a pretty impressive body of work. And... So I, I'm frankly mystified by this. And it, it like, it, the Ibrahimovic stuff reminds me a little bit of Novak Djokovic, who is another figure who, great athlete, winner, just won the Australian Open again, but has done so many things in the past year to sort of cause me and a lot of people to lose respect for who that guy is. And I'm just bummed out that Ibrahimovic did this.
1: And again, like, I I think Novak Djokovic is someone who's probably more likely to disagree as opposed to kind of deplatform, which is kind of what Zlatan is talking about. I don't know where Zlatan comes down on things like this. Because again, uh, as I I agree with you, Zlatan's about Zlatan, right? Like, I don't think it's about kind of, you know, what he believes politically. But I, I do kind of wonder if, like athletes themselves deciding to not think of themselves as human beings and citizens first, right? Like, you have every right as a citizen to think whatever you want politically and and express your views in the public square, right? Like, that's kind of the beauty of our American democracy is that everyone has the right to share those thoughts, right? And, And you can, you know, feel free to agree or disagree. So the notion that you wouldn't be able to share them, but never mind how informed LeBron James comes off and never mind as well how important his political power is. He started a political organization that was trying to turn out votes, right? And I do kind of wonder if athletes don't realize the very awesome capabilities they have to create change in this world, as Marcus Rashford has done. Because, like, I've heard John Amici, the former uh, NBA basketball player, say that LeBron James could solve world hunger if he wanted to, because he'd he'd be able to get enough people on board to, like, if he really threw himself behind it, he could. Like, I don't think it's understood like how massive athletes are as figures within their communities, as figures within their countries to draw attention towards things that they can single-handedly create change that several government agencies attempt to achieve every day and don't. So the, the, the notion that you would turn down that power because either you're not, you're, you don't have enough for it or because it's not your place. I, I, I don't understand that, particularly when someone has clearly demonstrated that they have the, you know, knowledge and acumen to be able to speak on things eloquently and 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 create real leg- and, and legitimate change within their communities
0: yeah hopefully we'll see more lebron James's more marcus rashford's out there in the future chris thank you so much for joining me always good to talk to you thanks for having me grant let's take a quick break and i'll ask you a question Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga, France's Ligue 1, or Copa Libertadores and get frustrated because they're not available on your cable or satellite system? You should try a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z, and you can watch all the action from La Liga, Ligue 1, Copa Libertadores, and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, a tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina. Fanatis features channels you know, like be in sports in English and Spanish, Gold TV, and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description Or by going to fntz.co slash grant-fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant-fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Now, here's my interview with Kevin Williams. Our guest now is the person on Twitter I trust the most for information and insight on FC Barcelona. Kevin, Kevin Williams' day job is as the music and visual arts editor for the Chicago Tribune. But on Twitter at Will, he also monitors all things Barcelona from its men's team to its women's team to its reserve teams, youth development and club politics ahead of Barcelona's March 7th presidential election. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: Um, Hey, thanks uh, for having me. It's been uh, a rather tempestuous month uh, for the uh, club that I love so much.
0: (laughs) I I would say this. There is a lot to talk about here, and we will, about FC Barcelona. One of the wonderful things about Twitter, and I think Twitter gets a a fair amount of criticism, deservedly in many cases, but one of the great things about Twitter has been interacting and meeting people that you wouldn't have met otherwise, maybe. Like, and for me, you are that when it comes to Barcelona. I don't know if Twitter didn't exist if I would have met up with you. Maybe, it's possible, but um, I'm very fired up to have you on the show. Um, thanks, it's
2: weird because like, I've met, I think about um, 10 people in a real life like, real, real life, human to human, um, uh, who I know uh, from Twitter, and nine of them I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed. One (laughs) has been like, okay, well, thanks for the time. I'm going to go somewhere. So, I mean, I think that we forget that Twitter is not real life. We we really forget that it's a medium that's uh, designed to make us think in 240 character bursts. And... Uh, take that for what it is and you can dole out complete thoughts but really it's this fun temporal thing that yeah you meet people you get to know people and if you uh, tweet honestly then yeah it does feel like you know someone in a sense even though you've never met them that's kind of
0: cool yeah and this is literally the first time you and i have met outside of twitter i it should have happened earlier but here we are now um I'm wondering how did you get connected to FC Barcelona in the first place to the point where you're, you're all in on Twitter on, on everything that's happening with the club?
2: So back in the uh, dark ages, uh, I was back when like, you know, there wasn't millions of hours of uh, soccer content on TV or the web. I ran across this um, amazing moment the uh, Rivaldo Chilena, right, where it uh, got them into Europe.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And back then it was like, holy crap, they made Champions League, right? I mean, there were no trebles, right? There was no, this was 1999, right? And there right. were no, you know, no victory parades. It was just, oh, my my God, this amazing goal by this uh, player who now is unfortunately a, a Bolsonaro backer, but that's a whole other story. Yikes. Um, And this moment captured me in a way that nothing in American sports had done, not even the um, uh, Bears who I uh, basically grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so I started seeking out, you know, the grainy, right, semi-legal streams. (laughs) And then we um, uh, started seeing more and more on TV via the – Thoroughly awful uh, gold TV. I Remember that, that terrible <laughs> synthesizer theme music they had and stuff. And um, so that sort of grew a relationship. And then in 2001, uh, got to go to Barcelona uh, okay. for the first time and um, uh, see a gumper match. And it was just like, holy cow. right? <laughs> because I mean, suddenly all of this sort of nebulous stuff became real. Mm-hmm. And then I became a associate. Mm-hmm. And um, found a blog that then was called The Offside Barcelona, where we would meet and chat about the club. And the head of that space, uh, a guy named, named Isaiah, um, said, hey, do you want to write posts?" post? And I was like, sure, what could go wrong? <laughs> and that was a, about a million years ago. Actually, a, a, about, I'd say, it had to be, it was, it, it was during the second um, Frank Reichardt season. Okay, So uh, that would have been 06. And I've been writing posts since then. And just that makes you think and delve into the team in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. So obviously you don't wanna be some some keyboard dilettante, right? So you just kind of dig in and here I am, this like fanatic
0: maybe I guess you'd call me, right? I mean, that's, that's probably fair. <laughs> I, I do feel like there's an insight. it's it's a mix of you are a hardcore fan. You're obviously a social member, as you've mentioned. But you do bring sort of a a journalist's eye, I think, to or a columnist eye to to what's going on with the club. and 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 as a professional journalist myself, I have no problem saying like a couple of times over the years when I've, had access to barcelona people i will check in with you to yeah. get your sense and you've been tremendously helpful to me um on just some of the details of what's what's happening at the club now there's a lot happening at the club right now and in fc barcelona seems to be in a really rough spot you know you've got huge amounts of revenue but also huge amounts of debt as we saw in the New York Times story recently. Uh, You have on the field the 8-2 loss to Bayern Munich in Champions League, the recent 4-1 loss to PSG in Champions League. We'll get to Messi in a second. Where did things go wrong with this club? Um,
2: Two places. One, when they elected uh, Sandro Rossell to be president, and then when Tito Villanova uh, got, got ill and then So, uh, Sandro Cell was the black heart of everything wrong with everything at the club right now. And while he resigned and then handed over that uh, baton to uh, Bartoméu, the uh, black heart remained. And when you let accountants run a sporting enterprise, they worry about the money but they neglect the humanity and so barcelona stopped being a club stopped being a family and started uh, being this money generating thing and marketing means mean glitter bombs right so you keep messy you uh, sign pachino you sign uh uh, you have these big uh, glamorous signings that yes, they uh, draw sponsors, but they don't help the team, right? None of those big names have been the right signing while they have helped marketing. With uh, Villanova's death, when he took over, um, when Guardiola left, as Guardiola's uh, number two, a Villanova was handpicked and perfectly set up to make that the next step in the team's progression. Yeah. And then when he took ill, his assistant was not that well-prepared and that uh, team stagnated. Mm -hmm. And then Martino came in, uh, another caretaker. And then Luis Enrique came in, who was sort of this weird heretic, right? Who was like, just, Uh, give the ball to the studs and let them go. So that uh, team stagnated because there was no structure. There was no tactical unison, right? It was just like, hey, freelance, right? Give Neymar the ball. Neymar does Neymar things and they went to trouble. And what happens is then when you figure out ways to stop Neymar, then trophies stop. So the team hasn't really developed tactically uh, since Guardiola left. So we have all this money all these signings, 48 different uh, managers and no um, tactical notions, no sporting project, no no cohesion, no nothing. So right now it's all a mess. Uh, Massive debt, uh, the wrong uh, players, uh, a bunch of old players that are on big wages, up getting rid of those, uh, you've got two knee injuries of uh, Fatih and Coutinho, right, which means you're not going to be able to sell Coutinho because he's um, uh, broken. So it's all a mess, Grant. It's a huge mess. And I don't know, I mean, I know how they can get out of it. Um, and the first thing is, uh, they will restructure some of the short term debt. Second thing is they will shed some salaries, right? I mean, you will see a salary clear out this Summer life, which you've never seen, it it's uh, going to be grim. So they can manage that fiscal part. The sporting part, though, that's that's going to be hard.
0: Okay. And sort of looming over all of this is <laughs> Lionel Messi. And as of right now, do you think Lionel Messi will move on from Barcelona once his contract is done at the end of this season? Or not, and, and and what factors do you think will play into that decision?
2: Yes, um, he's he's gone. The four to one PSG did it. What Messi wants is Messi wants, not that I know, but I can speculate. Right, that uh, Messi wants two things: uh, to win, uh, yet also to be part of a sporting project that looks at the uh, player he is right now. Rather than the player he was ten years ago, and at uh, Barcelona he is locked into being the player he was ten years ago, right? And that's how I drive him crazy because he's not that guy anymore, right? He's no longer the you know um, uh, uh, dribble down five defenders and score a He's not that guy anymore, right? right? He is a m- more a cerebral uh, guy. Messi should be either a midfielder or a nine, right? And instead he's the exact same player and so I think he leaves and I think that no matter um, who the president is right I mean I think it'll be a Laporta but we'll see Um, he leaves because nobody will be able to give him what he needs what he wants
0: and let's let's play this out a little bit longer I mean you're you're a Barcelona guy you're like so post Messi what would that mean for the club So it would, it's, it's,
2: so being a journalist means I'm usually an outlier. And so I'm going to say it won't be the worst thing in the world if Messi left. You gain a massive hunk off the wage bill. Right. Which means suddenly if you can scrape together enough money to sign a a player like Holland, you can, right? You're going to. Uh, for it to pay him. Um, you open up the field uh, for players who might stay like uh, Dembele who is at his absolute best when uh, Messi's not on the uh, pitch because he can occupy that same space he occupied uh, while playing at uh, Dortmund.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, uh, um, uh, Patriot gets better. Um, um, Preach gets better. Um, everybody gets better because in, instead of looking at and for Messi, they start uh, a playing for themselves. Now that's not Messi's fault, right? Messi is Messi. And why wouldn't you look for the best player in history? But when he leaves, boys have to become men.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that with the right purging, Lacking a better uh, term there. (laughs) And, And the right youth usage, they can still be a competitive team without Messi, which is weird to say, right? It's weird to say.
0: It is. I mean, you and I have talked a little bit in the past about La Masia, the famed youth academy, which produced Messi and so many other great players for the first team. Are they in a... Like, what's the state of La Masia at this point? And are they still producing much talent? Like, what's your sense?
2: So, first of all, La Masia, as always, has really become this massively overhyped thing, right? <laughs> there was a moment where all these amazing players, uh, the whole uh, first team came from the academy, right? That was like a hit in the lottery. Mm -hmm. You get one lottery hit and then it's like, okay, what's real life like? Real life is Lama Sia makes young professionals. Most of those young talents um, uh, go to other teams. Um, I wrote a post two years ago that laid out all the uh, players that um, uh, were in Liga that uh, came from there, and it was a huge list, right? Not many of those have the talent to make the Barcelona first team because that bar is so high. Right now, though, um, that they're an amazing period. Uh, you've got four or five players right now playing on B from that Lama Sia pipeline who could move up. Most notably a Collado, uh, you've got uh, Jandro. Uh, You've got uh, this amazing young center back of Kamas. So those, I think that you could see four, maybe five players get uh, pulled up from that level of progression. Um, So Lama Sia has never produced that sort of nonstop, a fountain of world uh, class talent that the hype would have you believe, right? Mm -hmm. They've always produced... Young, talented players, and maybe a fraction of a percent of those make the Barcelona first team.
0: Okay, I mean, if you think Messi's gone, then then what you're suggesting is that the result of the elections on March 7th may not play a role in Messi's decision. What do you think is really at stake then in the elections?
2: Uh, The future of the club. Um, I think that you have three candidates, um, one who I think is the best candidate, but has run the worst uh, campaign in political history. Uh, That would be Font, who if, you know, there is a foot and there's a mouth, he's like, hey, foot, mouth, here we go. (laughs) Um, Then you've got um, uh, the likely um, uh, winner, and that'll be uh, Laporta, who is running on basically, I mean, and people will argue about this, but basically, he's sitting there saying, hey, look at 10 years ago, right? Do you want that again? Okay, let's party, right? Then you've got, you know, Tony. Um, my last thought I have to call him uh, Tony Beelzebub because I feel like he's <laughs> got this weird, like, sort of dark, uh, satanic uh, presence. But he's that continuation of the whole uh, black heart right? He would be the worst, absolute worst victor because the club will continue down the same uh, dark path it's on now. I think that Font would be best for the uh, future, right? But I think that um, uh, that uh, Laporta will be best for the, these next two or three years when you need someone, you need a Joe Biden, right? You need that... A guy who's been there, who's reassuring, who knows who to call, knows where that uh, person's bodies are buried and so they uh, gets them to do a deal. Has Mino riola on. Steve Dial wants to talk about, hey, this uh, uh, kid of yours, Holland, right? And so you need that guy. So, I mean, I think that the best one won't win, but I think that... Um, the likely winner will still be very good.
0: I mean, I just learned something recently that uh there are four teams in La Liga right now that that don't have owners. They have members and they have elections. Um right. so for a lot of listeners like they may not know this. It I, it's a fascinating situation. Like and this is a, a an interesting I guess question for the bar for from a trivia perspective those four teams that have socios and elections not owners are barcelona real madrid athletic club and bilbao and osasuna um and um do you think this is a good system with elections and socios as opposed to owners or not it's a
2: weird uh thing right because those four teams work in very uh, different ways. So, yes, I mean, they have socios at uh, Madrid, but uh, Florentino's like, eh, cool kids, whatever, let's party, right? We're doing this. Um, The the Barcelona socios, if if you look at the voting numbers, right, I mean, there are about uh, 110,000 socios. Last election in 2015, Barzemaeu won with about 25,000 votes. Right, that's not a lot of votes. Um, It's local, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you see the election stuff uh, being very regional. Um, So I think it it is theoretically a good system because the members. Then have a say in running the club. Uh, But the way that um, uh, Barcelona mostly has uh, changed over the years with the uh, Bartomeu reign of terror is, (laughs) oops, that slipped out, is um, they have have, uh, taken more and more of the power away from the members, right? They've done things basically uh, by executive orders, by bypassing the assembly, which is supposed to be the, a members group that signs off on major decisions. Mm-hmm. So it it it's theoretically good. Functionally, it's not so hot right now. And my hope is that uh, the next uh, Barcelona leader works to change that.
0: Right now, Ronald Koeman is the manager of the Barcelona men's first team. Mm-hmm. What do you think of his performance so far? And and where do you think Xavi, the great? Barcelona, a former player who's now in Qatar. Where does Xavi fit in in the picture as a potential future manager of this team?
2: Oh, let me start with uh, um, uh, Kamen, who I think has done a good job. Hmm. I think he's integrated uh, young players. He has the team playing better. They look like more of a team again. They look like a you know, group who actually likes each other. Uh, Not a bunch of mercenaries all drawing the same paycheck or from the same paymaster. Uh, He is bad at tactics. He's bad at subs that change matches. He's bad at developing a repeatable system of play. So it's all like freelance now, right? Um, He's got these amazing players that just like run around and kick the ball at each other. Right, there's nothing. They they aren't doing anything. So he's been good and bad. Xavi, I don't know, frankly. Right, I mean he is right now. He's at um, the uh, the Qatari uh, version of PSG. Right, most money, best players. Yeah, they win. They're they should win.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, he has wonderful ideas. His team um, plays beautifully. Right. Now, can he bring that to Barcelona? We're gonna find out uh, because he is coming, whether it's summer or next uh, summer, I firmly believe he is coming, no matter who wins. Uh, I think he's a wee bit dogmatic right now. He'll have to learn to, to allow for other views and other weird ideas about, hey, let's get some guys who can run and jump, and maybe do something with a young French dude named named Mbappe who wants to be able to run really fast, right? I mean, things like that will be a challenge for him. Uh, But I think he could be an amazing coach. Now, I would uh, prefer Mascherano as the coach.
0: Ooh, why? He
2: is less dogmatic. Notice that with two managers, uh, Mascherano was uh, the one who – served as uh, their on-field general, right? who was uh, giving instructions, um, who was talked to about structure and correcting uh, things as a reason, right? Um, that sort of tactical brain, you love to have as a manager.
0: He was always one of those players, Javier Mascherano, that even when he was playing, people were saying, this guy's going to be a coach someday, and I got really excited when it, like it, there were reports that he might be an assistant with the new Atlanta United group that they were trying to recruit him. And that ended up not happening, unfortunately. Um, and I guess he's taken the job for now, maybe with the Argentine Federation.
2: Yeah.
0: But I do hope we see him coaching, uh, before too long here. Okay. okay. I, I you know, just a tremendously smart guy. Um, I want to ask you real quick about the Americans, Sergino Dest and Conrad, um, who are with Barcelona. And mm-hmm. young guys, obviously. Dest has gotten quite a bit of run in his first year. Um, what are your thoughts on them and their future and whether they are Barcelona players in your mind?
2: Oh, boy. OK, so uh, let me start with the less least to come a plex one that's a Conrad. Um, um, uh, Conrad will become a lovely squad player, right? Uh, He'll be the second or third guy the coach brings in to maybe run off the edge like like a tail used to do Mm -hmm. and get a goal. Um, Very talented. um, Has sort of stagnated right now with the B team because now, now defenders have figured out his three moves. And so he has to either uh, grow his game, right? Or risk becoming one of those guys who you talk about as like, yeah, whatever happened to da da da, right? Dest is amazingly talented. Dest um, also rose too quickly, right? Um, Dest should be an apprentice, not a starter. Um, He makes errors. He is um, lovely on the ball. His mind wanders off the ball, right? With that PSG match, most of the uh, post-match talk was about what a a terrible fullback Dembele is, right? Um, But the larger question is, why did Dembele have to be a fullback? Um, Dest right now needs to learn to get up in side players with all that pace and all that ball ability and his feet are so fast, right? Uh, learn to uh, play a guy tight, steal the ball, turn play. Right now he's giving way too much space on defense and he's uncertain on offense. So, I mean, he needs to really, you won't see the, Best version of him until midway through next season.
0: What do you think about the women's team? They're fantastic.
2: I love them. Oh my God. (laughs) They are, it's funny because not enough people watch them play. Mm. Um, It is so beautiful to watch because they play football. We talk about uh, playing football the right way, right? Yeah. Um, a foundation building from the back using the wings ball movement uh, player mm-hmm. movement they do everything right it's so and yes I mean they have a, a crap ton of talent right mm-hmm. uh, when you've got um, uh, Martin's coming off the bench you got a talented team <laughs> but they also do, everything the right way. And the right way doesn't just mean theoretical stuff. It means, yeah, you've got this uh, tactical structure, but you also have the right uh, players to make that structure work. And that's also what uh, Guardiola had. And that's why his teams were also so beautiful to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, People, More people should watch uh, Femini. Um, They're on Barca uh, TV Plus. It's not uh, that expensive. Um, it's free to associates, and their matches are a weekly highlight.
0: nice they're
2: that more sucks. fun than anybody right now. They're yeah. more fun than the men
0: I, I can tell from your tweets when when they're playing a game, you get pretty fired up um, oh're fantastic in, in a positive way. a um, couple of quick questions. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me um, you're in you're in Chicago. Um, there are teams in Chicago on the soccer field: Chicago Fire, Chicago Red Stars, uh, among others. Uh, what What are your thoughts on what they're doing in the community there? So, it's funny. I
2: wish that the Fire had the Red Stars marketing department.
0: <laughs> um,
2: you know, I feel like the Red Stars are doing this amazing job. They're building a foundation of uh, support they're doing things the right way i mean certainly on the pitch we wish that both teams were better um uh, the red stars wouldn't have screwed up by leaving bridgeview for soldier field right which is going to turn out to be a massive mistake in the team's history why it's too big right you leave this base where you would get a Fan base of locals. I mean, so people who lived near downtown and wanted to see the fire would drive to Bridgeview. People in Bridgeview who want to see the fire would might be less inclined to slip into the city. Why leave a foundation that you already uh, have and that, uh, frankly? You haven't done the best job of nurturing for something that is theoretically bigger with all the North Shore soccer kids, but won't be because the team isn't very good. I mean, people want to watch a winner, right? and the fire, they're not a winner.
0: One last question for you, and this has nothing to do with soccer, but another thing that you tweet about sometimes. For three decades, you have been a pretty intense, avid cyclist. What does that yeah. involve for you?
2: Lots of food, lots of sleep. Um, so I, <laughs> it's funny. I started as a uh, chubby asthmatic right? when I okay. was 18. And my doctor advised me to get more exercise. And so I was riding. A, I uh, bought a bicycle. And um, a young lady in a uh, cycling suit went uh, zipping by. And I tried to catch her and couldn't. And thought, why can't I catch her? And uh, started uh, training, and then started racing, and things led to things—a couple of Olympic trials, um, failures—and but this love of a sport that sort of draws you in and spits you out and consumes you—and you know, frankly, has made me into a much better old man than I would have otherwise been. That's been a really cool thing. I mean, I'm 59, right? I mean. Mm-hmm low blood pressure can, you know, make a bike go uh, 45 miles an hour. Um, It's, I mean, I wouldn't be this man without cycling. So I recommend the sport to everybody. I wouldn't recommend that uh, people race because that's just too damn hard. (laughs) But cycling, go for it.
0: Kevin Williams' day job is as the music and visual arts editor for the Chicago Tribune, but you should follow him as well on Twitter for his Barcelona takes and information at Kev V. Will. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Grant. It's really great to finally meet you, massive
0: air quotes, in person. (laughs) Likewise. All right, man. Be good. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Kevin Williams as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.